are many reasons why I love being the father of two young girls. One of them is I get to watch movies like Inside Out, and it's totally acceptable. Like, I love that movie. It's probably one of my favorites. Now, if you're not familiar with it, let me kind of catch you up on, on the premise of the movie. It's about this uh, 11-year-old girl named Riley uh, who's going through a very difficult season in her life. Her family just upped and moved from Minnesota, uh, where, you know, she was born and raised, where, you know, all of her friends are, things that she enjoys doing, like playing hockey outside. Like, that, that was home for her. And they moved because of her dad's job. They moved from Minnesota to San Francisco, where they serve broccoli on pizza. And uh, Riley's not having any of it. Like, she, she does, is not really enjoying it. She's not transitioning well here. And so the movie is this inside look into the emotions that controls Riley's outer actions. And so the main cast really is the characters of these five basic emotions that are at the control center in Riley's mind, helping her uh, kind of process through all of these changes that are happening in her life, changes that she's really not very fond of. And so you have disgust, who is quick to point out her disapproval of everything. And if you have a teenager living in the house right now, you know what it's like to have disgust at the control board of someone's emotions. Uh, you have fear, who never misses an opportunity to point out the dangers in a situation, even if you know, they're not really that dangerous. You have anger, who has a pretty fiery temper that's quick to explode. And you have joy, and joy just kind of dances through the entire movie, putting a positive spin on everything. She is like working overtime right now, trying to keep Riley joyful in the midst of this difficult situation. And joy's arch nemesis is sadness. And it seems like sadness, every time joy makes one step, sadness is right there. And throughout the entire movie, you kind of see this back and forth between joy and sadness. And joy is constantly trying to just push sadness off to the side. In fact, even on Riley's first day at her new school, uh, Joy is giving out, you know, she's kind of sending the troops out on their mission, all these different emotions, telling them what to do. And sadness comes and says, what, what can I do? What's, what's my job? And Joy's like, oh, I've got a really special job for you. Just follow me right over here to the corner. And she draws this circle and she says, this is the circle of sadness. Don't leave. Like, just stay right here. And I think in a way, like, isn't that what we all do in life? Like, we all tend to avoid these negative emotions. We just kind of want to circle and just say, stay here, stay here, stay here. I don't, want, I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to mess with you. I don't want to process through you. Just kind of stay here out of the way. And we tend to avoid negative emotions. We, we push them down we drown them out with noise. I and mean, you may not even realize that you're doing it, but to avoid feeling you know, those emotions that are deep within that maybe aren't really pleasant, you, you drown it with noise like TV, you know, Netflix, social media. You drown it with this constant noise in your life because you're afraid that if there's a little bit of silence, then those emotions are gonna come up in your mind and you're gonna have to do something with them. And for one reason or another, you're just not ready to quite do that yet. And so you bring some noise out to distract. We, we push them down with relationships. And we think, if I, can, if 
and just find the right person or you know, maybe the person I thought was the right person. I don't really feel that anymore. And instead of, instead of really working through those emotions, take the easy way out. We drown it out with addiction. We, we pour just one more glass before we go to bed and we find that it's not just one more glass, but it's two. We drown it out with addiction because we just want to draw a circle around those negative emotions and say, just stay right here because I, I don't have the strength to deal with you right now. And if you're a Christian, maybe you've said something like, or, or maybe you've heard some well-intentioned person say something like this. Well, I, I can't feel sad. You know, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I can't be angry. I can't be upset. I can't be afraid. I can't be disgusted about something. I just have to push through those emotions or bury them deep inside because there ain't nothing that's going to steal my joy. I think the reason why we try to push through or bury any emotion other than joy is because we over-spiritualize verses that talk about joy. We, we say things like, well, the joy of the Lord is my strength. <clears throat> the joy of the Lord is my strength. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Or, or we'll say, but, but you know, Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. I know that what you're going through is a really difficult and horrible situation, but rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. But listen, we don't rejoice in the pain. We don't rejoice in the rejection or the layoff. We don't rejoice in the diagnosis or the affair we don't rejoice in our child who has run off in addiction. We don't rejoice in the, the painful diagnosis in life. And some of those are really deep and painful situations. And when we acknowledge them, when we validate our emotions in the midst of the sadness and the anger and the fear, when we just even recognize and validate them in our life, then we're able to begin to work through them. Like you can't actually work through something that you pretend doesn't exist, that's not actually there. And you begin to work through them and come to a place where you make this intellectual decision because it's not just a heart emotion decision. It's an intellectual decision to say, I will choose to rejoice in the Lord. Knowing all of this and feeling all of this, I choose to rejoice in the Lord because he is my strength. But we don't get there by ignoring our emotions. We get there by learning from them, working through them, and taking them to the Lord. And by grace, God has given us examples all through the Bible of how to handle our emotions. And to be fair, some of them are cautionary tales. <laughs> like uh, a common misconception is, you know, just because the Bible says something doesn't mean like that's the way that we have to do it. Uh, sometimes it's descriptive, not prescriptive. And the Bible has a lot of examples of how not to handle our emotions. But if we want to find a really good example of how to do it, all we have to do is look at Jesus. Jesus, in his humanity, he experienced the full array of the human emotions. In his disgust over the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, Jesus called them to the carpet in Matthew chapter 23. I'll be honest, I was thinking about this passage um, even just yesterday, and I remember the very first time, I was, I was 18 years old, the very first time when I read Matthew chapter 23, and I'm like, whoa, this is not the Jesus I know right now, <laughs> as he's calling out these religious leaders. 
In his fear, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus prayed in agony. Luke tells us even to the point where his sweat was like drops of blood. He agonized over the cross that was ahead. In his anger, when people came to worship and were being restricted and they were being taken advantage of, Jesus tossed some tables around to make it stop. Jesus felt joy around children like we all do when we can give them back to their parents. (laughs) In his sadness, Jesus wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. And this is the account I want us to look at today. And so if you have a a Bible or a Bible app that you use on your device, uh, I invite you to turn it there with me, John chapter 11. Uh, We've got some some Bibles there in the front pew if you want to pull one of those out and just open it up. John chapter 11. If you're new to scripture, kind of, okay, where is John? If you look here at my Bible, it's about three quarters, maybe a little bit past where it is. It's one of the books that we call the Gospels, which tells the story of Jesus' life. And if you're looking for a book to even begin engaging in scripture, uh, the book of John is an excellent place to, to start. You see, I think that the, the problem for many of us is that somewhere along the way, someone who loves us and someone who was very well-meaning in their intentions made us feel like to feel anything other than joy in our walk with Jesus was somehow to disappoint God, was somehow to let him down, or, or that in some way when we felt something other than joy that we weren't truly being faithful in following Jesus. But the truth is, is there are times in life where joy would be the last emotion that we point to. And because of that, there, for many of us, we've gone through times where we've lived with this like low-level sense of guilt or shame for feeling something other than joy. For some, maybe even the season of your life, it's not just a a, a short period. It's like an extended time in your life. You're like, what do I do with this? How do I express it? The truth is God has given us these emotions. They have a place and a purpose in our lives and we need to pay attention to them. And my hope for us today is that not only do we feel free to, to feel our emotions, but we're also equipped with some tools to do something with them. And and so I want to look at our text to see what we can pull from it in in this way to help us work through and identify our emotions in in a healthy way. Look at it with me. John chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Down to verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, there's a little bit of anticipation in these words, in this passage. There's a sense of anticipation. The message is sent, hey, Jesus, Lazarus, you know, the one that you love, he's sick. He's not doing well. And we know that you are busy, you know, performing these miracles and healing everyone else. We just wanted you to know that that the one you love, your dear friend Lazarus and our brother, he's sick. And so if you could just leave what you're doing and come over here and heal him, um, that would be great. And it's kind of serious, so hurry it along if you don't mind. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 
And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he dropped everything and immediately rushed to the bedside of his friend to heal him. (laughs) That's not what it says, is it? That's what, like if I'm honest in life, that's what I want the text to say. I've got a need, I'm feeling this. Lord help me, boom, he's right there and he does it. So what he always does. It says, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Jesus stayed where he was, knowing his friend was sick and about to die. And he finally made his way to Bethany. In verse 17, we, we read, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. And I imagine this wasn't a a greeting of, oh, Jesus, we're so glad that you're here. Here, come. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Can I get you anything? I imagine Martha went out, and she was ready to have some words. (laughs) She said, Lord... If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now notice Jesus doesn't stop Martha and say, whoa, 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 you can't say things like that. You can't be angry. You can't be sad. You can't express disappointment. God might hear you. He doesn't say, whoa, 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 Martha, where's your joy? I think he let her be angry. I think Jesus was okay with Martha being sad, even being disappointed. Not not just disappointed that her brother passed, but disappointed that Jesus didn't get there sooner. And some of you, you know exactly what that disappointment feels like. And in the midst of all these emotions, Jesus and Martha, they begin to have this heart-to-heart And that's one of the things, like when you're honest just about what you're feeling, you're able to actually have honest conversations. And they talk about hope and they talk about healing and they talk about resurrection. I heard someone say this week that the quickest way to someone's heart is through their wound. I love those words. Quickest way to get to someone's heart is to go through their wounds. Martha had a wound, and instead of criticizing it or telling her to to put a bandage on it or just, you know, ignore it, it'll go away, it's fine. He went through the wound. He went through her emotions directly to her heart, and he pointed her to hope. After this, Martha went back to get her sister Mary. And in verse 32, we read, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's the exact same words that Martha just spoke to him. And again, remember, Lazarus has been dead for a few days. And so I imagine that they're all sitting in the house with this company of people going, Can you believe he didn't show? Can you believe he didn't show? We sent word. He loves us. He loves our brother. And so they're feeling a lot of the same things. And Mary comes out and expresses the same emotion to Jesus. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Jesus 
wept. It's the shortest verse that we have in scripture. And yet I don't know that there are two words that, that point more to one, the humanity of Jesus and, and two, gives validity to the emotions that we feel in life. As you may know, this isn't the end of the story. And Jesus, again, moved by emotions, and he, he says, you know, where's the tomb? So they take him to the tomb. He has them roll the stone away, and Martha's like, oh, do you think that's a good idea? He's been in there for a few days. I think the King Jimmy translation is, he stinketh. Let's not do that. <laughs> She's like, no, roll it away. And he called out, Lazarus, Lazarus, get up. And out comes Lazarus, this dead man who is brought back to life. And when you consider the end of the story, I think it's odd that Jesus would weep, right? I mean, at least, at least four times in John chapter 11, Jesus says, yeah, he's sick. Yeah, he's going to die, but I'm going to raise him back to life. I know Lazarus is dead, but he's going to be alive again. Martha, I know your brother is dead, but he's going to live again. At least four different times, Jesus acknowledges that he's going to raise Lazarus back from the dead. And yet in verse 35, he weeps. And I think the reason is because he is overcome with emotion and compassion and empathy. He is overcome by the reality and the sadness of losing a friend in death. There's an image that's floating around social media that has been for a little while, and I think it's so good because it, it really captures uh, what we're talking about here this morning. Maybe you've seen it. It says this, he cried. He knew Lazarus was dead before he got the news, but still he cried. He knew Lazarus would be alive again in moments, but still he cried. He knew death here is not forever. He knew eternity and the kingdom better than anyone else could. Yet he wept because this world is full of pain and regret and loss and depression and devastation. And then check this out. He wept because knowing the end of the story doesn't mean you can't cry at the sad parts. And I love that. I think this passage gives validity to our emotions that yes, it is okay to cry at the sad parts. It's all right. Even if we know, like, our hope is in the eternal. It's okay. But it also shows the importance of doing something with them. And so what can we do with our emotions in, in those times when they're just in overdrive and it feels like we're not going anywhere? How can we express those emotions and process through them in a holy and healthy way. I want to I give us just one way this morning. If you're taking notes or if you want to jot them down, I encourage you to do so and, and just put it into action. Maybe even this afternoon, it could be a great exercise for you. The first thing is to acknowledge what you're feeling. Acknowledge what you're feeling. Like just be honest with yourself, be honest with the Lord and acknowledge, Lord, you know what? Today, I'm just not feeling it. Like I'm feeling a little sad today. Lord, I am so angry right now because my boss came and threw one more thing on my desk. Doesn't Tom know how busy I am and how much I have on my plate? Just kidding. Love you, Tom. <laughs> Man, that's going to be awkward in the future. Uh, <laughs> 
express that anger. I mean, he knows anyway, right? He knows you better than you even know yourself. He knows what you are feeling. And so there is a whole lot of power and freedom in just expressing what you're feeling. So acknowledge it. Then you begin to work through it. Next, backtrack to the primary emotion. You see, you, you may think that what you're feeling is sadness. Like, and, and, and oftentimes what, what we do is it's, there, there's a certain group of emotions that are really easy for us to identify. And things like sadness and fear and joy, disgust, like those are really easy for us to identify, but, but they go so much deeper than that. And so it's, it's just such a great exercise to say, okay, I'm feeling sad and then begin to work through that. Like, what am I really feeling? And, and you may find as you do that, that you're not just feeling sad, but you're feeling, you're feeling grief. And, and you work through grief in a much different way than just working through sadness. And the best tool that I've ever seen for, for helping us backtrack through emotions, it's this thing called the feelings wheel. We have it up here on the screen. And in the, the middle of the feelings wheel, again, those, those are like those emotions that are really easy for us to identify, anger, sadness, happiness, you know, fearful, surprise, bad. But then as, the, as you go into those outer rings of the feelings wheel, then you're able to identify it just a little bit more. And so you might say, man, you know, I'm feeling afraid right now. But, but actually, you know what I'm feeling is I'm feeling insecure. I'm, I'm feeling insecure. And, and then you take it one more step and yeah, I'm not just fearful. I'm not just insecure, but I'm actually feeling inferior right now. And when you identify that, that specific emotion, then you're able to do a whole lot more with it than just saying, now I'm feeling afraid. And I found so much benefit in using the feelings wheel in my own life. But I'll tell you, one of the places where I found it to work the best is with my now seven-year-old daughter, Nora. Nora uh, and I are a lot of like in many ways. Uh, in fact, a couple of Sundays ago, you know, when I had this red sweater on from Mr. Rogers, Nora has a red sweater. And so she wore that to church that day too, because she wanted to be like, Daddy, well, she's a lot like me in that we're both high, high, high on the feelings chart. And when Nora is feeling something, a lot of times she expresses it um, physically. And, you know, when we're young, and in fact, I even know adults that don't really know how to identify their emotions and do something, you know, positive and constructive with them. And, and when Nora's feeling those emotions, a lot of times, um, especially when it seems like she's feeling angry, that, that comes out physically towards us, towards others. And, and so we began using the feelings wheel with our daughter, Nora, to help her really identify what it is that she's feeling. And so I pull it out, I've got it on my phone. I say, hey, sweetie, let's go through this. And you wanna know what I found? Is that a lot of times when my daughter is expressing anger, the emotion that she pinpoints is within sadness. She just doesn't know how to handle it. She doesn't know what to do with it. And I think there's so much value for us to really identify what that emotion is. Because when we do, then we're able to take this next step and we are able to consider the cause. To, to look through and to say, okay, why is it? What is that thing that caused me to feel the way that I'm feeling right now? And sometimes it is incredibly obvious and you know exactly what it is. And sometimes you have to do a little bit of digging to find it. But when you do, you're able to determine your next step. 
And I'm telling you, every, every time, and I know this is, yeah, you're the preacher, you're supposed to say this, but every time, the, the first next step is just to pray, to take it to the Lord. Say, God, here it is. Like, I'm feeling this. I know why I'm feeling this. I need you to heal my heart because of this. I need you to help me forgive this person who is making me feel this way. Or, or you know, they're not all bad. Maybe it's like, Lord, thank you for giving me this moment where I can just, man, I feel so much joy in my life right now. But you take it to God in prayer. That's the first step. But listen to me. While prayer is always good, it may not always be enough. There are times when the wound is so deep or the trauma is so severe that you need to work through with a professional counselor the issue that has caused you to be stuck emotionally. And there has been a stigma around counseling, especially in Christian circles, for far too long. And as someone who has directly benefited from counseling, I'm telling you, there is nothing wrong with taking that step. Nothing. In fact, it might just be the best step that you ever take. And if you need help getting connected with a counselor, because it can be intimidating, it's the best step, it's also the hardest step. If you need help, we want to come alongside of you. We don't want you to try to journey through this on your own. We have vetted several counselors in our community, good people, men and women who are doing good work in helping people process through their emotions. And, and we want to help you make that first step. And so we invite you, just call into the church office this week. We will help you find that next step. As you work through this, you're going to learn to allow those emotions to form you. As you acknowledge your feelings, you backtrack with a tool like the feelings wheel. As you consider the event that caused it and then you determine the right next step, you're going to learn how to process and grow through these to where you can say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And we want to make a copy of the feelings wheel available to you. So we haven't had them printed up. Uh, you might need a magnifying glass, but it's worth it. You can also just like Google search it and save the image. Um, I actually reached out to the guy who created this. He lives in Australia. Said, hey, can we um, steal your design? And he said, absolutely. He's actually a pastor in Australia. And uh, he said, use it um, by all means. I hope that it's as helpful to your congregation as it has been to, to mine. And so we were able to make these up legally and uh, hand them out to you this morning. But you can also find it online if you'd like. And again, as you work through, you're going to learn how to allow your emotions to inform you. And this is important, to inform you, not control you. You'll learn how to allow them to do the good work inside of you that God designed them to do. And you are going to grow through them more than you ever thought possible. Let's check this out. There's so much power in just acknowledging what it is that we feel. Letting it teach us, working through it, taking it to the Lord, surrendering to him, and allowing him to do the work inside of us that he wants us to do with it. And as we close this morning, we want to give you a chance to, to do this. I'm going to put the feelings wheel back up on the screen. <clears throat> We've got a couple of different versions of it. What I want you to do is just try to get as far out in the ring as you can and identify what it is that you are feeling right now in this moment. 
If it's anger, move out. If it's afraid, move out. And when you do, when you've identified that emotion, try to, try to go back to what is causing that in me and then take it to the Lord in these quiet moments as we close out our service. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.